You're listening to audio from Christ Covenant Buckhead. If you're interested in learning more, visit ChristCovenantBuckhead.org. It's good to be with you today. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, our scripture reading for today, a very familiar place as we've been here the past couple of weeks looking at the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 verse 9 through 13. You can follow along as I read aloud. And of course, the gospel writer Matthew here is writing these things, giving us these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, they come to us. These words come to us today with the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were teaching us and and we're building his church. So let's hear together the word of Christ. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. We know food has an interesting place in Scripture. It's kind of the theme of the whole Bible, and I'm not saying that facetiously. It's a theme, the theme of food runs throughout all of Scripture. In fact, it's interesting, the very first words, I mean, the first words that God speaks, this is both in the creation account of Genesis 1, which is a more general account, and the particular creation of man account in Genesis 2, the very first words of God to man, to mankind, have to do with food. And we'll go to the next slide here. And they are, I have given you food, in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2, you may eat. And then if you think about it, all throughout the Bible, there, there's occurrences of food, instructions about food. And the very last chapter of the Bible, what's happening? Well, God has invited his sons and daughters, those who are in Christ, to eat from the tree of life. And so the very, very end of the Bible closes with people eating from the tree of life and drinking from the river of life. All throughout the Bible, there is eating and there is drinking. There's, we see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. And right here in the middle of Jesus' model prayer, we see a prayer about food, about bread. Give us this day our daily bread. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, we, we've been looking at this idea of virtue. Not external virtue. Not behaving more virtuously or understanding virtue in a better way, but But by God's grace, in response to the grace of God, becoming a more virtuous people. Again, this is not outside-in virtue. We are hoping to pursue inside-out virtue. Virtue that flows not from some external environment or from some just demanding on our own wills, but rather virtue that just flows from who we are, virtue that just flows from what our heart is beating. You know, a secular worldview says, look, how you change people is from the outside in, right? You you put them in the right environment, you create the right things around them, you you put the right structures around them, and then they will become a better person. But but Christianity says something different. It actually says that we, we, we become who we are from the inside out. If something happens on the inside, our heart changes, who, who we are changes, our, our knowledge of God changes. You know, a very popular passage uh, to this end, it comes in 2 Corinthians. You've you probably heard, some of you have heard this passage before, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. It says, we have this treasure, right, what's inside in a jar of clay to show the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. 
We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So this is kind of the opposite of the secular mentality of outside in. Everything around us is going poorly. Everything around us is falling apart. Yet we have this treasure. We have this knowledge of God. And therefore we're not perplexed. We're not destroyed. We're not struck down. We're not in despair. So this is what we're trying to pursue together. Virtue that flows from this treasure, from this internal truth, from this internal reality, something that's happened in us, something that's happened to us. And you may say, well, what, is, what are you talking about? What is that? Well, the Bible talks about this. Is, it's the new birth. It's the new creation. Uh, what, what happens, what, what the Bible describes, when you become a Christian, something happens to you. It's, it's so dramatic. It's, it's a new life is born inside of you. The Bible says the Spirit of God, the very power of God, comes to dwell in you. In a very real way, becoming a Christian means, means inviting the power of God into your life and understanding this power of God. And so I think that our pursuit of virtue is just understanding that, understanding what has been given to us, understanding what is alive now in us. And one of the ways that Scripture gives us to deeply know how God has affected you, how God has changed you in this new life, is through prayer. And this prayer, this particular prayer that we're looking at today, it strikes to the very core of our existence. This is one of the most important prayers you have ever prayed. And you pray it, many of you, every single day. But if you really understand this prayer, if you really understand the essence of this prayer, I believe that the Spirit of God, what we're just talking about, that inner poise, that inner peace, the power of God in you, I believe you really understand what you're praying. When you pray this prayer, the power of God will be so alive in you. You will be so in touch with who you are, who God has made you to be. And it's this simple prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I know some of you are thinking, really? Uh, You know, is he about to make mealtime prayer the power of God in me. I mean, this is just something nice we do. We acknowledge God. We pray for our meals. But I don't know about this whole spirit of God in me before I eat my pizza on a Friday night. What, what is this? Well, this prayer, I think, teaches us a couple of things that I want to look at with you today. First of all, give us this day. Our daily bread teaches us about our own existence in a very real way. I want to think about that with you for most of our time. But then I also believe that this prayer teaches us about what I'm calling the true food. So let's first, let's first of all talk about what this prayer teaches us about our existence. Every time you eat a meal, you are confronted with the question, why am I eating this meal? You're confronted with the question, why am I eating this meal? Am I eating this meal just to stay alive because I'm a living organism and I need food to sustain life? Or am I eating this meal because I'm staying alive for something? Because there's something more to my life? Because I should stay alive? Because I've been, I've been given a life? You know, a secular worldview, again, would say, all you are, this is what the secular worldview ultimately believes, all you are is an accidental collision of atoms. That's all you are. And so all, the reason that you eat is because your brain is just responding to a chemical stimulus that says you need to eat to stay alive because all you are is a collision of 
atoms. And you're just going to keep doing this because it's what the stimulus inside of you says for you to do. But here's what I know. None of you actually believe that. You could be the most secular person in this room, and I'm glad you came if you are. But you don't believe that. You don't believe that you're just an accident. You know, you, you know that there's something more to your life. You know that, you know that there's value here. You know, this is Tolst this Tolstoy quote I, I looked at with you last week. It says, sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten and I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? So it's also saying, am I just a life? Am I just this life that appears for a while? If that's all I am, if there's no meaning, if there's no value to this, then what is it all about? But again, you know, you know that your life has a purpose. You know that you're, you know that that cannot be true. Deep down inside of the heart of you, you, you know that there is some greater purpose. You're not just eating to stay alive. You're eating because you, there is something that you have to stay alive for. This is why every movie, you know, every movie kind of begins this way. I was watching, um, uh, I mean, I was watching with Amory Anna, but I was watching Beauty and the Beast the other day. And um, you know how Beauty and the Beast, you know, you know how Beauty and the Beast begins, right? Little bells walking around and she says, little town, it's a quiet village, every day like the one before. There goes the baker with his tray like always, the same old bread and rolls to sell. And then she kind of has this chorus of, there must be more to this provincial life. It's got to be more than just the bread man. It's got to be more than just these people saying bonjour all the time. You know, how about another one that's a favorite in the D's house, so The Sound of Music? How does it begin? It's Julie Andrews, of course, on the top of the mountain saying, my heart wants to beat like the wings of the birds that fly, that rise from the lake to the trees. My heart wants to sigh like a chime that flies from a church on a breeze. I go to the hills when my heart is lonely. I know I will hear what I've heard before. Right? There's, there's more to my life than this abbey. There's more to this life, this monotonous abbey life that I'm living. What is that? You know, unless you think that I only watch movies with strong female lead characters, Remember Rocky? Remember the movie Rocky? What does he say? Yeah. You know, Rocky says, you know, Adrian. Remember this scene? He says, either in bed, he just, I, ju I got to go the distance. I just got to go the distance with Creed. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. But if I can go the distance with Creed, here's what he says. I'll know that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. I know I'm not an organism that's just staying alive. I know that I'm more than that, and I can prove that I'm more than that. Every time you eat a meal, you acknowledge that there's a reason for you to stay alive, that there's a reason for you to keep living, that, that there's more, that you're more than just an organism. But why? Why are you alive? Why do you keep eating the meals? This is why I'm, it's important to pray this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. You are confronted with your own existence every time you eat a meal. There's a reason that you're eating, and it's more than just to stay alive, but why? Well, I think there's a clue in this very first passages of Scripture. Let's look at Genesis 2 together. So again, remember the first words of God to the man? You shall eat. You may eat. You may eat of every tree of the garden, verse 17 but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, 
you will surely die. God had given Adam and Eve a whole garden, a perfect garden. All of their needs were met. But there was one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a clue in the tree, right? It's the knowledge of evil. I don't want you to have this knowledge. I only want you to know good. I only want you to know what is right and lovely and whole. And so God says, look, I've given you all of this. Trust me. It's amazing. The garden is good. My presence is right. My presence is whole. I am making a covenant with you. I want you to be in relationship with me. I'm going to take care of you. Just trust me. Don't eat the tree. Trust me about the food. And of course, you know the story. What do they do a chapter later? They don't obey. They don't trust him. They don't celebrate. They're too curious. Curiosity overcomes them. Their their self-value overcomes them, and they eat the fruit. But what's interesting about the story, here's the clue. What's interesting about the story is they don't die, right? Has that ever bothered you? I mean, God said one chapter earlier, the day you eat the fruit, you die. They eat the fruit. They are alive. God provides for them. You know, they, they have to go out so the garden, but you know, you ever, that ever bothered you? What, what, what does that mean? You know, I remember <coughs> a lot of theologians say, well, of course, the, the, the day this happened, the curse of sin came upon Adam. The curse of death came. And of course, that's, that's absolutely true. But, but that's kind of not satisfied me, right? I mean, it says the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. I heard a pastor one time who was trying to talk about this, and he said, well, you know, in the Bible it says... Uh, that to God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Adam didn't live to be a thousand years old, so that day he died. And I was kind of sitting, I was just in college at the time, but I was like, I don't think that's right. (laughs) What is this text saying? This is what what the passage is saying. God, God is saying to Adam, look, Adam, I have made you in my image. I have made you to bear my image, to be in fellowship with me, to obey me, to trust me, to love me. There is no higher delight than that. I have made you, Adam, to delight in me. Trust me. I've provided for you. I'm caring for you. I love you. Trust me. Love me. Obey me. Stay with me. Don't break this. And Adam refused that. And when he did... He chose, I want you to hear this, he chose to delight in something else. Remember even with how the serpent tempts the woman? It it, it says that when she saw that the tree was good for food, and it was that it was a delight to her eyes, she took it and she ate it. Adam and Eve chose to delight in something else, and the fellowship, their purpose, they were still a living organism after that. But the thing that they were made for, the thing that you're made for, to delight in God. That's your primary purpose. That's God's chief end of creating you. The thing that they were made for was lost that day. Adam, that day, just became another bum in the neighborhood. He was condemned to Abbey life. He was condemned to the provincial life. Don't you see? Don't you see why you were made, Christ Kevin? And I want you to see this. I don't know how you view Christianity, but Christianity is, is not about doing a sacrament that makes you right with God. It doesn't, it's not about some religious balance that you need in your life. It's not about making a decision. That's not Christianity. Christianity is about life. It is about 
being more than just an organism that eats food to stay alive. It's about finding the reason that you were called to life. And that is to know and to delight in a living God. That's why you were made. That's who you are. And when Adam sinned and through sin, that was all lost. That day, Adam died and we all died with him. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, that from that day forward, I love this phrase, death reigned. Death reigned. Death reigned. This is why Belle and Maria and Rocky are all searching for more. This is why sociologist Ernest Becker says, we create immortality projects. He's talking about how we are so terrified of this finality of our life, death. We, we so desire to live on somehow. And says so we create immortality projects. We get a higher degree. We establish a family. We start a business. We engage in philanthropy or take a selfie. All in an attempt to deny death. To construct a way for us to live on long after we are gone. He says we are all haunted by questions like what will happen, uh, what will people think of me after I die? What will they say of me at my funeral? Will anyone remember me? Class dismissed. (laughs) This is all just evidence that death is reigning. But in and through Christ, I want you to hear this, in and through Christ, this is what the work of Jesus is all about. You were made alive. We were reconciled back to God. This is exactly why, where does the Bible end? Where does the Bible end? It ends with the people of God around the tree of life. It ends with the people of God alive with him forever. What is this saying? It's like they've made it back into the garden. They are now alive once again. This is Jesus reversing the curse of death, reversing what was lost in Adam. It is in every sense of the word a resurrection. And in the most interesting way, You can trace this idea of trusting God, of delighting in God throughout the whole scripture through this idea of food in the garden. We just said, God says, obey what I say about what you eat and stay in fellowship with me and enjoy communion with me. Listen to what I say about the food and Adam doesn't obey and delight is lost and fellowship is lost. A little later, God saves his people. He saves the people of Israel. He brings them out of bondage, out of the land of slavery in Egypt. He gives them his law. He provides for them with food, manna and meat in the wilderness. He gave them water to drink, but then he gives them the law. If you ever read the Old Testament law, it talks a lot about food over and over and over again. In the Old Testament law, it's about food, but it's not just about food. And don't miss this. I'm going to show a couple of verses from Leviticus 11. I don't have time to go through the whole chapter. If you go read Leviticus 11, it's all about food. It's all about what you can and what you cannot eat. It's an amazing chapter of Scripture. Verse 3, I'll just read a couple of passages for you. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud... Among these animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the, cud or part the, chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the, cu- the cud, but it does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. The rock badger, because it chews the cud and does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And he goes on and on and on. Look at verse 12. Everything in the water that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. Verse 13. 
And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind. On all this, all these birds. Verse 20, it says, all winged insects that go around on all fours are detestable for you. I mean, there are 44 verses of very particular dietary laws for Israel. All of these verses about food. Israel, listen to this about the food. And then in verse 45, God explains it all. He says, for I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. You see, he says, listen, Israel. I have called you into relationship with myself. Your, your essence, your being is to delight in me. So listen to me about the food. Trust me about the food. I am, trust me about this. I'm living, I'm calling you this for your good, for your delight. Listen to me. My plans for you are good, so don't eat the rock badger. In the New Testament, one of the central parts of the ministry of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000, you know the story? It's in all four of the Gospels. It's, one of the, it's the only miracle that shows up in all four of the Gospels. Central work of Christ. I love this story. Jesus is teaching at the Sea of Galilee. They're out from the towns. People are hungry. People are growing restless. They come to Jesus. There's nothing to eat. Disciples are panicky. Little boy, you know, the story has the fish, two fish, five loaves. And I love the instruction that Jesus gives in this setting. Everybody's panicky. Everybody's nervous. Everybody's hungry. And all Jesus says is, look, have the people sit down. <laughs> Just tell the people to sit down. Don't go posturing to be the first one to get to town to buy food. Just sit down, look to me, delight in me, trust me that I am going to take care of this, disciples. Delight in me, delight in my power, delight in my provision. Of course, he cares for them all. And keep going in the scripture again as I just mentioned the last chapter of the Bible. We see the the sons and daughters of God in the new heavens, new earth, eating in Revelation twenty two fourteen 14, it says, blessed are those who've washed their robes. And this is implying who've washed their robes in the blood of Christ, who have been cleansed through faith in Christ, that they have the right to eat of the tree of life. Blessed are those who are cleansed by Jesus. Blessed are those who trust in Jesus. Blessed are those who delight in Jesus they are the ones that will eat and be full forever and ever and ever. Food is throughout the Bible, and it teaches us so much more about just staying alive as an organism. It teaches us about the essence of our lives. It teaches us about our dependence, right? I mean, you need food. What a great lesson about the fact that you are a dependent being, dependent on something greater than yourself that food is. I mean, you can go a couple of days without food, but you don't want to. And eventually, if you go without food, you, you won't go any longer. You'll, you'll die. You need food. It's a reminder of your dependence. It's a reminder uh, of, of your lack of satisfaction in the things of this world. Food teaches us about our communion. You know, think about your relationships. Where were so many of your relationships forged and built? They were forged and built around food. It's good to eat with other people. It's fun to be in community and eat together. This is how families commune. This is how friends commune. This is how you catch up. What's the first thing you say when you catch up with your buddies? Let's get a lunch. Let's get dinner. Let's commune together. Let's eat together. It teaches us about our mission. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, the, the sentence that goes like this. You know, so-and-so, uh, my, you know, my dad, we didn't have much. 
But he always made sure, you can finish this sentence, he always made sure there was food on the table. He always made sure there was food on the table. He was a hard worker. He was always out working because he wanted to make sure there was food on the table. For most of human history, your work was directly connected to your table, right? It's only been in the past 150 years or so that most people aren't farmers, it's only been in the very recent history, when you consider all of world history, that people have a diversification of jobs. Most of the time, you work for your food in a very direct way, and we still understand this in an indirect way. And then, of course, food teaches us about our delights. We celebrate with food. We have joy with food. Just yesterday, someone in our church, Peter Schulte and now Anita Schulte, got married. And what did we do at the end of their wedding? What did we do after they got married? You know what we did. We ate. That's how you celebrated. We delighted with them with food. And what is more delightful than that? When you're hungry, you ever be really hungry and you sit down at a table of food that's been well prepared and it's got all these flavors and all these tastes and well-seasoned things and some things are sweet and some things are warm and some things are cool and it's just delicious and you, you savor it, you delight in it, you can't wait for it. Te- food teaches us so much about our delighting in something. It is so central to our existence, to our identity, to our purpose, to our joy. Give us this day our daily bread. It's about so much more than us just staying alive. It has everything to do with why we are alive. It's a declaration. Give us this day our daily bread is not just an acknowledgement of the Lord. You're the one that's providing my food. It is a statement to the Lord. You are the reason that I'm eating this meal. You are the reason that I need food. You're the reason that I'm eating food. When we eat, we are confronted with our own existence. We are confronted with why we exist and why you all exist, why I exist. It's delight in God. And when this happens... I'm supposed to talk about virtue today, right? I know you're thinking, like, I thought this was about virtue. Or specifically, I was going to talk about gratitude today. But, but listen, when this happens, when you find yourself delighting in God, in His provision, in His care, in His goodness, when you find yourself delighting in His way, you will be virtuous. <laughs> of course, you'll be grateful, but you'll be so much more than grateful. You'll be at peace, you'll be holy, you'll be obedient, you'll be humble, you'll, you'll begin to behave as God behaves. Give us this day our daily bread. Keep me alive today so I can delight in you like I'm supposed to. So that's the first point. We talked about what does this teach us? What does this prayer teach us about our own existence? But secondly, and very importantly, what does this prayer teach us about what I'm calling the true food, the true food. You know the problem with each of us? You know your big problem, my big problem? We were made to delight in God. You were made to delight in God. But you delight in other things. Your heart is captured by other things. My heart is captured by other things. This is what happened with Adam. He was made to delight in God, to trust God, to trust the provision of God in the garden. But what happened? He began to delight in himself, to delight in this thought, oh, I could be like God, that, that mysterious tree. I could know what it's all about. I could know knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. He delighted in something else. He delighted in, himself, in, in something else. The people of Israel 
They delighted in other things. God had given them the law. He said, delight in me. Be holy as I am holy. But they didn't. The followers of Jesus, they all sat down. They all had their fill. It says in John 6, after he fed them all, they even wanted to make him the king. But just a little later, same chapter, his teaching gets a little harder, and they all walked away. They really weren't delighting in Jesus. They were just delighting in the things that Jesus could give them. Here's the deal. You think we're doing any better? Are you doing any better than that? Is God your delight? Is God really your delight? Has he captured your heart? Do you hunger for God? Like you hunger for that meal at Thanksgiving when you're hungry and you're famished and you just want to eat and it's delicious before you. Is that the way you approach God? Do you hunger for the word of God? Do you hunger for the mission of God? Do you, do you hunger for the, the, the obedience to God? Or do you just hunger for the approval of other men? Is that what you're really after? Is that what you really love? Do you delight in God? Do you delight in the knowledge of God? Do you delight in the word of God? Do you meditate on the word of God? Or are you just always seeking something to distract your mind with? Do you find yourself meditating on God's truth or meditating on someone's most recent Instagram post? Do you delight in the work of God in advancing his kingdom or do you want to so compartmentalize your spirituality and faith that it doesn't take up too much time because you have other important things to get along with? Do you delight in his work? Do you delight in his people? Or are there more important people in your life? Is God really our delight? Has he captured you? Do you hunger for him? You know, it's interesting, this story in John 6 when these followers walk away from Jesus, they thought the teaching was too hard. You know what Jesus was doing in that? He was giving them the answer. He was actually showing them the secret. He was showing them the way back to the garden. He was showing them the way back to intimacy with God. He was showing them how to delight in God. This is John six thirty two. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, and hear this, and gives life to the world. That's the bread of heaven. That's what you should really be hungry for, the one who gives life, not the one that will just fill you for a little while, but the one who really gives you life. So they said, sir, give us this bread always. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the way, says Jesus. I am the pathway. And then later in the chapter, he says, consume me, feed on me, delight in me. You will find life, but they couldn't handle it. It wasn't practical enough for them. It wasn't, oh, I do this to please God for them. Feed on Jesus. I couldn't, they couldn't handle it. You see, here's the wonder and the beauty of the gospel is we didn't delight in God. Nobody in this room, we were just like Adam we were just like Israel. We were just like these followers who wanted Jesus when he was feeding us. But when his teaching got hard, we walked away. I mean, this is American Christianity. We're interested in Jesus as long as he's giving us bread. But don't ask anything of me, Jesus. But Jesus says, don't you get it? Bread never satisfies. 
I can give you all the bread in the world. You'll be back the next day. You're going to get hungry again. You're going to get hungry again. Bread will never satisfy you. Get hungry again and again and again. I alone can satisfy you. You want peace. You want rest. You want wholeness. I am the bread of life. We didn't delight in God. We went the way of Adam and we all died. We all lost what we were made for. This is what it means to die, to be spiritually dead, to be separated from God. And one day, if you spiritually die like we all have, you will physically die. And then, says the Bible, you will experience what's called the second death, which is punishment for our rebellion. Punishment, as Scripture says, in hell the justice for our disobedience, the justice for God Almighty to make all things right. But the wonder of Jesus, here's the wonder of Christ, is that he, the Son of God, came to be a man like us and always delighted in his Father's will. He always hungered after God. He always thirsted after God. I love the story in John 6 when they wanted to make him king. What did Jesus do? He withdrew to be by himself so he could go pray and delight in God. He's gonna be given the highest office the thing that everybody would around him would say, this is what's going to fulfill you, Jesus. This is going to make your mission come true. You'll be king. You do whatever you want. And he says, no, I am delighting in God here. That's how Jesus lived. He only delighted in God. He always delighted in God. And what happened to him? Well, he experienced spiritual death. He was forsaken by the Father. He experienced physical death. And Jesus even experienced on the cross the second death what the cross is all about. Jesus receiving the wrath of God. Jesus receiving the punishment that we deserved for our sin. It's the wonder of the gospel that Jesus, the one who always delighted in God, experienced death and all death, but then overcame them all. He overcame spiritual death. He overcame physical death. He overcame the second death. And what he is saying to you and to me, hear this Christ covenant. He is saying, look, I'm the bread of life. Look to me, consume me, come to me, believe in me, delight in me. This is the secret. This is the pathway back in. Delight in Christ and find life again and be filled and be satisfied. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, what does this mean? (laughs) What am I supposed to do here? What does it mean to delight in Christ? And, And what I have to say is this is something that, we as Christians call faith. It, 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 it's, it's, the, it's this thing that happens in us where we begin to believe that Jesus really is life, that he really is the answer, that he really is worth our lives, that we, we hang our lives on him, we give our lives to him. So we call faith, and it, it's almost something more that happens to you than, than, than you do. It, 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 one day you realize, I am delighting in Jesus, but here's what you do in the meanwhile. Keep pursuing him, keep looking to him. Keep following him. Don't be like the people in John chapter six that heard his hard teaching and turned away. If you're here, I, I'm gonna guess that you're here because you're curious, because you, 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 there's something about Christ that serves you. You may have been in church for a long time, but there's still an emptiness in your heart. Keep pursuing him. Come find me. Let's have a conversation. Come find another believer. Keep pursuing him. And I, I pray that this faith would grow in you for you to believe. Some of you here today, you found faith. You have found faith. You have, you have experienced faith. Christ is making sense to you. He is life. He's, you're realizing he is the Lord. It, it, it is all about him. He is the answer to my life. He is the reason 
of Mike says, he is my delight. And, and you need to let that be known. You, you've never let that be known. You've never expressed that. You've never followed through in what we call believer's baptism, where our faith is expressed, where our faith is known. And, and that's your next step. I invite you to do that, to come talk to me, to come talk to some believer and say, okay, well, what does it mean if, if these things are coming true in my life? And some of you here, you know you're trusting in Christ. You know you're looking to Jesus. The trick for us is to keep looking to him and to keep delighting in him, to keep consuming him. And, and here's the beauty of, of what Jesus has done for us. He's actually given us a meal. He's made this really simple. He's saying, I'm gonna remind you in the most practical possible way what it means to consume me. You see, the night that Jesus was betrayed and afflicted and arrested, he sat down with his disciples and he took bread before them and he broke them. He broke the bread. And he said, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this is my blood. It's, it's spilled out for you. These are evidences of my love for you. This is evidences of my pursuit. I was willing to go through spiritual death, physical death, and even the second death so that you don't have to. And when we take this meal, we remember him. We remember what he's done for us. We remember how much he loves us. And in the same way, the purposes that I talked about earlier that food do for us, they do this, this does the same thing, this holy meal. It reminds us of our dependence. Who of you has any standing before a holy God based on the record of your life? This meal reminds you of your dependence on the righteousness of Christ, on the delight of Jesus. This meal reminds us of our communion, of who we are together now. This is not something we do alone. We do it corporately. And as you see people taking this meal along with you, it's, it's a reminder that these people have the same faith I do, that they see Jesus in the same way I do. The Bible says that because of that, we're, we're brothers and sisters. We're a family in Christ. This meal reminds us of our mission. You know, one of the things that we do is we continue to take it. I love this. We continue to take it until Christ returns, until we, until we eat with him in his kingdom. We continue to stay the course. We continue to take it to, to remind ourselves of, of what we've really been called to in Christ, of this life that we're called to live in Christ, that we are his workmanship now, created for good works. And lastly, this meal reminds us of our delight. It's just a small little meal. It's not much of a meal. It's just a taste. But it's a taste of just a piece of bread and a drink of juice just to remind that there is one who really satisfies me, that there is one who satisfies every longing of my heart, there is one who satisfies uh, all my emptiness, all my fallenness, he has satisfied it all and he's called me into life, real life. Let's be reminded of this as we look to him, as we pursue him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. And, and, and Father, in this I ask not that we would just be reminded of our physical needs, even though we have them. We are grateful for you providing for us. But Lord, I pray more than that, Father, that we would see the needs of our soul, the needs of our heart that are great. Give us this day our bread, Lord. I pray that we would be reminded why we exist. We're not just here to stay alive. We're not just living organisms. We are men and women, boys and girls, made in the image of God, 
to delight in him, to find our place in him. I pray, Father, now that you would convict us of sin, you would cause our hearts to turn, not to ourselves, not to our work, not to the approval of men, not to the joy of any sort of recreation. I pray that our delight would be in Christ. Our delight would be in his kingdom, in his words. Father, use this meal, I pray, to stir us to this end. I pray it for Jesus' sake and in his name.